I, I'm so thankful to be here, even though these 12s didn't, almost didn't make it up those steps, but they're narrow. But I, I know you've had thousands of speakers or hundreds of speakers at this pulpit, but I don't know that anybody could be more uh, joyful and thankful, humbled, and, uh, and just plain happy to be here than I am. And I, I thank you for allowing me to come and share and, and speak this morning. Um, wow, it, it's been a long, long last year, wasn't it? But, uh, but praise God, uh, he taught us much and he's, uh, he brought us through. Everything that you just uh, saw and sang uh, leads us to God's word, leads us to worship. Uh, that's the way it's supposed to be and, and, uh, and that's the way it is this morning. So uh, I thank you so much. I, I've stood here for many years in, in conferences, usually speaking at 8.30 in the morning, which was a wonderful privilege and, uh, and, and just just lived with you and, and shared with you and, and we've, we've laughed and cried and seen great victories and, and God has been so good through the years and I'm, I'm just thankful to be back here. But um, I remember, and this is good advice, I think, for any of us, for all of us, anytime you're gonna, gonna share with anyone individually or collectively in a group or, or teach in any way. But uh, this church has always honored uh, Vance Havner, one of the great preachers of, of all times who went home back in the 80s. But uh, Dr. Havner said that uh, when, when you step up to share God's Word, uh, always bear in mind three things. He suggested this. And, and I've always done that. No one knew that, but I always sat right over here and, and I always asked God for, for three things. I ask Him for a lot of things, but especially these three things almost every time. He said, go as if it's your first time. I think he meant, you know, we, we never take for granted the opportunity that God gives us. It's a great privilege to share God's Word. And when we step up here and, and share that Word, when you step in front of your friends or your family, when you stand before a Sunday school class or a Bible study, wherever you are, go as if it's your first time. It keeps you humble, keeps you clear, helps you to realize we, we never, ever get over the joy of knowing Jesus and sharing what he's done in our life. So go as if it's your first time. And then, then he said, go as if it's going to be your best time. Well, you know what? We just sang and asked the Holy Spirit to take over. When God's Holy Spirit takes over, it's always the best time. I mean, it, it, there's nothing better than when God has his way in our lives. And, and I was just talking to Brother Ray earlier you know, you travel far and wide, and, and I, I couldn't really uh, emphasize this enough in, in your heart and your mind to tell you that this is just not average American church. God has his hand on this church. I've seen great things happen here, and I'm convinced that God will carry on and continue great things in this church. We just need to do one simple thing that I've seen happen since the day I first came here and Brother Michael honored me with the privilege and I was scared to death and I stepped up here and shook and said, God, just take over whatever you can do with this wildlife photographer. I'll be so thankful. But I've seen the same thing happen, folks. You keep your eyes focused on Jesus and he just keeps working. He keeps healing. He keeps encouraging. He keeps lifting us up. But that's the that's the... That's the key. It's our faith and our trust and our focus on Jesus Christ. 
So we go come if it's the first, as if it's the first time, or come as if it's going to be the best time. And then he said, and go as if it could be your last time. Now that, that's not a, a sad note. That, that simply means that God is continually changing our life, our direction, the seasons that we're going through. God is continually doing things in our life that, that, uh, that we can look at and say, God, if I never have an opportunity to speak to a godly group of people, to people that need Jesus, that need encouragement, that need your presence in their life, Lord, this might be the last time I have a chance to, so I'm going to leave it all at the pulpit. I'm going to leave it all at the altar, Lord. I'm going to bring it all to you and give it all to you as if it could be the last time. First time, best time, last time. So I'm keeping all those things in mind this morning. Um, this is sort of strange, and I'm not trying to be strange. But uh, I remember a, a line from a song in that great classic movie that I'm sure you all have in your library, Smokey and the Bandit. But, uh, but that... That line said, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So that's, that's where I am right now. A long way to go and short time to get there because we're here because of Jesus. We're, we're here to share God's Word. We're here because I need to hear from God and you need to hear from God. And I sense that unanimously throughout this congregation. So let's open God's Word. I want to go, if you will, in the uh, 18th uh, chapter of Acts read just a couple verses here. Um, God just led me right to this. I mean, I had a, I had a message uh, for a couple months, and, and uh, oh, it was good, and it'll stay good. But it wasn't what God wanted me to say today, and, and He brought me to these verses one day, and I said, Lord, that's it. That, that's the one. So, God is uh, speaking to Paul, and we'll, we'll open this up in just a second. But in verse number 9, And the Lord said to Paul in the night by vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name. This is your word. This is your time. We pray that your Holy Spirit will begin to work in my heart and the hearts of everyone who hears this message. And Lord, you'll be pleased to change us and draw us closer to you as only you can do. And we'll give you all the praise and glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You and I know that every person that has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and, and that personal relationship is that close walk where, where we know, we, we know, we don't just wonder, we know that He's with us. Amen. We know that we're comforted, we're motivated constantly in His presence in our life. So we live victoriously because He lives in us. He assures us of that many times each day. Now that person who has that personal relationship, that close walk, you have known, you, you do know, you're fully assured that you will always know that in every circumstance, every time the questions may outweigh the answers, 
whenever we're down, hurting, broken, discouraged, whenever we're at a crossroad, whenever we're, ha- we're, in, we're faced with a challenge, whenever there's a transition or a new direction, that same Jesus will meet us in our midnight hour. He'll meet us in our midnight hour and he will speak specifically, not, not generally. We have a personal God who speaks personally to our specific needs because he knows us intimately and he knows what we need, when we need it, and he comes to our, our needs and our rescue. He's always with us, but at that time, specifically in the midnight hour, Jesus comes. And, and he speaks to that individual need. And the Holy Spirit begins to comfort and encourage and cheer us to, and then to restore the purpose that we're created to fulfill on earth, which is important in the text we just read. We, I, you, we're needy people. Many of us uh, live with some questions today that maybe God hasn't made clear to us how he's going to move through those circumstances. But God is actively moving in our life. He's using us in new ways, and it's all according to that master plan. I think that's the, that's the thing that I always need to understand in the middle of any kind of change in my life, any kind of transition. God brings us to crossroads constantly in our life. And, and when we come to the crossroads, uh, Adrian Rogers said it best, nobody likes change but a wet baby. He, he was so, so right. But when we come to the crossroads, we stop and, and we say, Lord, forgive me that I want my plan. You're my master, and I want to be on your plan. Now, that, that's sometimes a hard thing for us to do because hardships hurt. Not only are we uh, concerned and wondering what God's going to do in, in our life and days ahead, but many times uh, we struggle with anything that interrupts our plan, and we have to stop and say, God, forgive me. It's not my plan. It's yours. So as we look at Paul this morning, we just see in that text we read uh, that Paul's in a, a difficult situation. But in Scripture, uniquely, the Holy Spirit, you know how he, God takes every, every passage of Scripture and he breaks it down and he, he has it for you and, and he has it for you and everyone individually, God has that special message that He speaks to at that perfect time, and this morning's that time, and, and so God's going to speak to us through Paul's circumstance, and we're going to see ourselves, and we're going to see our need, and we're going to see Jesus in the midst of our need. So here's Paul. He's, he's been dealing with some very challenging days. Everyone can relate to challenging days. Uh, Paul's been dealing with some mean-spirited, very difficult people who refuse to believe the gospel, refuse to accept the truth of Jesus Christ. He'd been verbally and viciously attacked for preaching the truth. And it, it came to the point where those attacks were so insulting and so blasphemous to his Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that, that Paul was very, very upset. 
to the point that he said, uh, your blood is on your head. I fulfill the mission that God sent me here to do. I'm leaving you and I will take the gospel to the Gentiles. And he left, but he didn't leave Corinth. He just left the synagogue. Stayed next door, and not next door, but the Bible says close to the synagogue, near the synagogue. We know there's a key word in here. Paul, Paul worked through the week making tents, but they said, the Bible tells us he always lifted up the name of Jesus. No matter how things get hard, no matter how we have to carry on with our, our work, we always have an opportunity to lift up the name of Jesus. And Paul continued to do that. The Bible says Paul was pressed in spirit. Paul was greatly grieved that the Lord who had died for him, the Lord who changed Paul's life drastically. We know the, we know the scripture and the history of Paul had persecuted Christians when he was Saul. God changed his life. He gave him a new name and a new nature. But God saw that, that Jesus being blasphemed and, and attacked. He'd, he'd been given this great honor of sharing the gospel. And that gospel had been rejected and refused, and, and Paul was grieved over that. That should bother each of us who know and love Jesus. Paul had been to Athens. Athens had a God for everything, as you know. They wanted to uh, justify their perversions with some God. They wanted to uh, fill that uh, yearning in their life for some satisfaction by some material God, some, some out of this, uh, even their, their arguments contradicted their own, uh, their own claims. But, but Paul had been in a difficult position in Athens, and he left Athens, and he went to Corinth. And when he went to Corinth, he just found more worldliness, more people who just didn't want to leave their heart open for Jesus, didn't want to hear the word. But the Holy Spirit was, was moving here even in spite of what Paul saw before him. And some people were saved. And even when he left the synagogue and went next door, uh, men in the synagogue were saved. People continued to be baptized even in those beautiful little pools around Corinth. People were coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and being baptized. God's Word will go on. And God will use people, sometimes the ones you don't expect, but He chooses to use you and I as believers. Although Paul wanted to see more in his own ability to carry on his ministry, most likely Paul was like you and I. Sometimes when things get really rough, even in the church, people say, well, you just need to step back a little bit. You, 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 need, to, you need to take a little, little time off. You know what? You, you should lay low. You, you step out of the public eye just a little while while these difficult things are going on and, and just, you know, just rest. Everything will work back and you can step right on there. God has never given us the right to step out of His work. Matter of fact, when things get tough, we step up. We don't look back. When we look back, we retreat. When we lay down, we wander. So, Paul, God said, Paul, stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. Paul's concept uh, was, you know, to see things happen. 
continually happen. Let it happen the way that he desired it to happen. But God's plan is not our plan. It's God's plan and his time according to his will. We know that, but we have to relearn that all the time. I have to relearn that all the time. Uh, have you ever been in that mindset where Paul was? And I know you have, but uh, sometimes uh, life becomes very, very challenging and upsetting and, and life begins to change. There's interruptions. But Warren Wiersbe used to tell me, he said, Ken, he said, it's so important to study the interruptions in your life. Study the interruptions in the, in the scriptures because when you study the interruptions in scripture, you'll see that God is continually working in our life and it's not according to our plan. He interrupts our plan so that his plan can be carried on in and through us. To remain steadfast in the middle of a conflict, in the middle of a change, in the middle of a challenge requires real faith and unshakable trust. Sometimes we ask ourselves, do I really believe that all, that's all of God's dealings in my life have a purpose for my good and God's glory? Do I really believe that? That can be a hard pill sometimes to swallow. God is just. Sometimes these, these floods of emotion uh, sweep over us and they threaten to overwhelm us. But, but we open God's word, God's, God's voice to our life with an answer for every situation and circumstance and trying time that we'll ever face. It's right here. So we bow our head, we ask the Holy Spirit to teach us, and we open this word, and in comes God. And He steps into our life, and He steps into our circumstances. But you know, He may not always relieve or remove the trial that we're facing. We may have prayed for something specific or desired greatly for something to change the interruption and the flow of our life. But I see after lots of study, Scripture confirms in so many places that when the Lord, now listen closely, when the Lord is leading a soul to greater faith, God for a time may leave prayer seemingly unanswered. But we know, we know God. God's silence is never either cold nor indifferent. That's totally contrary to the very character of God. At least 150 times in God's Word, God says, wait. Wait. Watch for God to do what only God can do. Now, I love birds. I spend a lot of time with them, especially in the spring. I have projects that require me to to watch and learn and record and photograph different birds. We've got 230-something species there in the Smokies, and that keeps me fluttering along with them sometimes in spring. And I, I've learned to get those little guys to light just where I want them to light sometimes. Of course, a few worms didn't hurt. But uh, I, I want you to consider this. Uh, just just out, of, out of God's perfect provision, out of God's creation, he's the author of this book, he's the author of creation, but out of, when a bird is on the nest, 
preparing to bring forth life, it never sings. It's called the brooding stage. The, a brood is a, 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 a group of hatchlings, as we know, in the bird world. But, but in order to see a harvest of new life, that bird must experience a brooding period. And that brooding period is a commitment to a deep consideration of what it takes to see life emerge from those eggs. And it, it involves this. It, it involves preparing and waiting, abiding and waiting, believing and waiting. It's critical for you and I to be still in the presence of God during the brooding period when God's changing our direction, when God's saying, don't stop speaking. Do not be silent. Stay with the work that I gave you. Do not venture, do not vary, do not be dismayed, for I am with you. We, we love to see quick relief, visible results in that brooding period. And God wants to see faithfulness in our life. He wants to see commitment in our life. He wants to see complete trust before we sense the power of answered prayer in His time and according to His plan. Even focused, dedicated Paul needed to return that lesson, relearn that lesson. Every worker knows the difficulties of holding tight. Some, sometimes we, we, we uh, honor the, the, the advice and consideration of brothers and sisters in Christ. But this is God's Word. Always, first, foremost, Lord, what do you say? And God says, stay with the work. He told Paul, stay with the work. I know it's difficult. But he says, hold tight to the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Hold it above every circumstance, every trial. Every man, woman, young person who takes a stand will be challenged. And all who are challenged will feel the burden. A wise pastor in the 1800s wrote, the best of men are men at best. I tried to digest that and think of that, what that meant. And I believe he's saying that apart from a firm faith in Jesus Christ, apart from a, a knowledge of God's Word and a focus on the Lord Jesus Himself, the very strongest man or woman are like the weak, weakest of the weak. Because we can have a tendency to look back and look around when we don't look up and look at God's Word. I want to say God knows our heart. You know that God knows your heart. He knew Paul's deep concern just like he knows your concerns, my concerns this morning. Paul was at a low place. We might say he was at a dark place in the sense of his zeal and his fervor. He was considering possibly leaving that work as he left Athens, leaving Corinth and maybe continuing, hopefully as God would lead him. You know, there's, a, there's an old 
song, not, not that old, but it says, I can't walk without you holding my hand. Love that song. Uh, but Paul, God took his hand. If we look deep, each of us have considered an easier road when things get hard. But our chosen road is never easy. We could paraphrase this message to, uh, to Paul from God by saying, God said, dig in and speak up. Dig in and speak up. You know, when we ask Christ to come in our life and, and take over, we become his witnesses. Our, our life does drastically change. We see God working in and, and through our lives, and, and we learn that in faith we can come to him anytime, anywhere, and he's always there for us. So, therefore, when we're a child of God, we all become preachers of the good news. We're all workers. So, that's one of the three elements in this passage, I believe. Who are the workers? We, all of us, are the workers. Well, more importantly, or as importantly, who do we work for? Well, we work for the master. Jesus paid the price we couldn't pay. We, we work and, and we live in an attitude of, of gratitude, thankfulness. We become calm when we realize who we work for. It's his work. We move in his strength. We go for his purpose. It's a great work. No matter how small a matter we may see our part in God's work, it's a great work. It's a grand work for a great God who can move mountains. As a child of God, we're the worker. We work for the Lord, and the worker's work is to share Christ by being a light in this world. We understand that. We need to be reminded of that constantly, especially when life gets hard. You know, there have been so many times that I've stood right here in this congregation. Uh, you, you couldn't know this, but I have looked and I look even this morning, and I have seen men and women that I know have lived the very words that God has given us to, to learn, the words that he might have given me to teach that day, but I know that those people are shining examples of God's truth and faithfulness, unshakable men and women. And I'd look around this room sometimes when I felt inadequate, which is most times, but sometimes when I felt that uh, the message wasn't going as smooth as I felt God wanted me to present this. Lord, am I accurate to your word? Am I, am I strong in, in what you've placed in my heart, God? I want to be responsible for your word. And I'd look over here and I'd look at Brother Russell. I'd look in the center, John Dees, and I'd look behind him at W.F. Griffin, and, and I'd look back there at the shining face of Miss Christine. And I'd look over and see Willie. Folks, because of their witness, and so many more, I could go on and on and on, but because of the, the witnesses, the, the giants in the faith that God has, has raised up in our midst, we can say, Lord, I want to be that light. 
My goal, my purpose, no matter how tough it gets, no matter how many questions I have, I want to shine for Jesus. Lord, that's, that's all I want. That's all they wanted. They gave us example. There's men and women saved today because God used them and saved men, women, and children because of their testimony, because of their witness, sometimes not because the sermon they preached, but because of the sermon they lived. There's an, an event, I call it an event, it's God's event, up in the Smokies where I live. There in the mountains, uh, this, this event draws people from around the nation and out of the, out of the country. It, it all revolves around this little lightning bug and he's called a synchronous firefly. For two weeks in June, coming up, there'll be busloads of people gathering the night just to watch what scientists said could, could not happen. Just, that's just impossible. That thousands and thousands of fireflies, not blinking on and off randomly and all this, but synchronous fireflies off, on, off, on all at the same time by the thousands. People come from everywhere to see that. Not randomly, but in one accord. On, off, on. Scientists are stunned by it. People are stunned by the sight. When I think of our work, God's people and God's church, I can visualize the church like those synchronous fireflies. One people in perfect unity, one accord, synchronized for the purpose of seeing Albany, Georgia come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I remember years ago at a refresh in the Smokies, Johnny Hunt said, he was talking about vision. He said, if you can't see it before you see it, you may never see it. Now you think about that a little bit. He's talking about vision. Vision is a specific outcome or goal that God wants us to pursue for the future. God's goal for this church, for every person that can hear this message this morning, is to let your life shine for Jesus Christ. That others might see Christ in and through your life. Those fireflies react in the darkest wilderness, sometimes in total darkness, but they prevent, present a view that stays in the hearts of people forever. There's another PowerPoint in these verses. There's many, many hundreds, but God shows us something different every time we, we open His Word. But there's a PowerPoint, and, and to me, it really highlights the fact that in those dark hours, if we could, we could call that in our low points, in the dimness sometimes of our, our weakness, even through our questions and our frustrations, certainly in our deep hurt, in our, in our brokenness, God comes to us in the midnight hour. But I want us to see something even more emphatic about that. After God knows that we have pondered deeply, prayed fervently, prepared faithfully, 
He starts to speak into our heart as he did in Paul's heart. When I look at those verses, I see how specific God is. God's not just saying, you know, stand up and speak up. He's speaking your name where you are in your life because he knows exactly where you are. He knows what point you are in your walk with God. He knows the plan he has for you. And he wants you to stay about his work no matter how difficult that might seem or how those questions that the enemy often uses in our life might be crowding out who we are, whose we are, and what our work is. So God begins to be very specific in our life. You know, a few years ago, two or three times I did this, but I'd go with friends and we'd go up on the Hudson Bay in November when the ice is frozen or freezing out into the bay and uh, we'd, we'd take these tundra buggies, they called them, and, and they're up on seven foot tires and, and uh, have a little buggy up there and they, we ride out, takes hours all day to get out over the pack ice and it's groaning and moving and, and when we get out there, the polar bears are all congregating, waiting for that ice to freeze more. They're, actually, marine mammals can swim well but they wait till the ice is frozen out into the sea because their whole winter is going to be spent trying to find the, the, uh, the seals that they, they must have. But we get up there, and this particular year I ask a, a close friend of mine who lives near me to go along. At that point, um, my friend, being a physician, uh, not that that had anything to do with it, but that's important to the story. But, but he had not yet come to save and knowledge Jesus Christ. He, he had not come to that point. He, he wanted to, to reason and see scientifically how he could uh, come to understand the virgin birth and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, sometimes when we, when we have all that we want... We forget what we need. But to move on with the story, I'll come back to this. We travel out, and out of that small village. We went out on the pack ice. We're up on these tundra buggies on seven-foot tires. We link them all together out there. We eat in one, sleep in one. We had one we break out and go out over that groaning, moving pack ice. And temperatures are 50 below zero at times. Winds, sustained winds around 30 miles an hour. But when we saw those polar bears, we noticed something different just to the side there. We noticed there was one isolated polar bear that was obviously very sick. He had this wound, probably another bear in, in their wrestling matches, bit the bear through the nose, but it was very, very infected, and this bear was very sick. And here he is isolated on the barren tundra out there. He's probably seen other bears injured, and and, uh, and bears just don't recover from serious injuries. So this bear was so, he was unable to function beyond just standing up and, and stumbling around. And my friend was a, a physician, not just any physician, he was an ear, nose, and throat physician, but not a polar bear nose physician. <laughs> but, but he was moved with compassion when he saw this bear. He said, he said Ken, we got, we got to help this bear. I said, well, sure, good luck on that. And the guide said, you know what we call people that get out of this tundra buggy? We call them meals on wheels. 
So, well, Bob said, well, I'm going to help. I said, no, you're not getting off of this polar bear. I, th- I mean, I'd love to take people on my trips, but I like to bring them back. So, he said, well, I've got a plan. He went up to the kitchen and asked the cook. He said, can I have some lard? Well, that had to get his attention. Two guys from Tennessee wanting a pail of lard. That probably had an instant reaction. But anyway, the guy gave it to him. And he, we took these lard and made, made lard balls out of them. And he put, he brought out his medical kit and he put antibiotics in these lard balls. And, and we maneuvered over to this very sick polar bear and it could hardly raise its head. But somehow it must have known we didn't need, we weren't going to do any harm because it didn't try to move away. We rolled those lard balls, I'll call them, out to that old polar bear. And strangely enough, gulp, he took it right down. Gulp, took another one right down. Well, we did that the next morning and the next evening. Folks, within two days, of course, polar bears don't get a lot of medical attention when they're out there. This bear was amazingly recovered. I mean, not fully, but certainly on his feet and, and running around and telling those young bears stay away from me. I just came through a little trial here, but I'm feeling pretty strong, so don't mess with me. I mean, this bear was really recovered. But the point I, I need to, to bring out here is who would have thought that a single old sick polar bear isolated in the frozen tundra thousands of miles away with a desperate need would have an ear, nose, and throat physician to show up on the ice with the right remedy, the right cure for the exact problem that this polar bear had in order to meet his need to restore him and to send him on with the work that he was created to have. Well, let me tell you something. That's our God. Right on time. Always there for us. Knows our need. Specifically knows our heart. He knows what's troubling you today. He knows what you need and I need. And when we hold that sword high, when we stay firm in the faith, trust in God, Jesus shows up the right time, in the right place. He's never late. Think about how many times in the Bible that the Lord, in the deepest, darkest, desperate hours of men and women, that Jesus showed up. He came in the, in the deepest night on the Sea of Galilee in that violent storm, and he brought peace. At the midnight hour in a filthy prison, after Paul and Silas had been beaten, thrown into that prison, Jesus showed up with victory in his hands. Jesus loves you, and he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Matthew 28, 20 says that. We better never take it for granted. We better always believe it. You better stand on it and hold, it on, hold on to it. At 70 years old, as of Monday, I can tell you that I know he never leaves me. If I sound convinced, it's because I am. When I'm walking by a river in Alaska and, and there's a 1,400 pound brown bear that stands nine feet tall and he, he rears up to get a better view of me, I'm not gonna call in a marker. I can't buy a vowel. 
I can't reach a friend. I can't call the authorities to fly in and help me. I call on the authority in Jesus' name. I need help. And he's always there. When am I out in a little Zodiac, a little inflatable, it's half out of air, and we start across a lake, and I'm with an old guide that uh, sort of knows that the boat will take us across the lake until we get in the middle of the lake and the motor conks out. And about that time, torrential rains start to fall and lightning starts to pop around that lake. And the boat begins to fill with water. My buddy has parts all over the bottom of that little rubber floating vessel and he's trying to reinstall those onto the motor while I'm bobbing like a cork with a 50 pound pack on my back. There's no backup. There's no time for smoke signals. There's no time for a cry of assistance in this world. Just about 50 people living hundreds of square miles off the coast of Kodiak where I was. And, but I need help. And in the name of Jesus, he's never left me. He's never forsaken me in hundreds of circumstances that would appear hopeless in the eyes of the world. Jesus is always there. But let me say this on a much more serious note than the circumstances I've been in. When the doctor says, come in and have a seat after a medical exam. When an officer calls and it's late at night and says your child is in trouble. Or when there isn't enough money to go around and your car breaks down. When your marriage is shaken and your heart's broken. Even when things at church are changing and uncomfortable. Folks, we're created to need help. Help cannot be found in this world. But Jesus says, I'm always there. I'll never forsake you. I am your help. I have a plan. It's not your plan. It's my plan. It's perfect. Perfect plan. You seek his presence and then you realize his presence and there's nothing like it. You know what I'm talking about. You know when God speaks, when God's moved close and you feel that, that presence of the Holy Spirit welling up into your life because He's come to soothe our fears. He's come to encourage us to keep on walking. He's come to say, keep on sharing. Because He says in that verse, what does He say? He says, for I am with you. Now, we could go too fast right there. Who does He say is with us? He says, I am with you. Who is this I am? Someone wrote that when God said that, he said, I am what I am at present. I am what I have been. I am what I shall be. And I shall be what I am. 300 times from Genesis to Revelation, scriptures, God says, I am. The self-existent, the being above all beings, the unchangeable, the constant, and faithful to his promises, I am. That's who's with us. So this morning, let me ask you, the six pieces of armor that Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians, 
is the sword of the Spirit, which represents the Word of God. Have you, in your midnight hour, in your difficult time, in your time of questioning, in your time of considering what you would do or what your plan might be, have you loosened your grip on the sword of the Spirit? That word is a word for you, for me. It's our word for today. God reminds us who we work for. He reminds us what our work is. I want to close by saying this. We should keep striving when things around us seem confusing. Why should we keep striving? Maybe even more so today than ever before with all the confusion that seems to surround everybody except the church. It shouldn't happen in the church, but it does happen in the church. But why should we especially keep striving, keep holding the sword of the Spirit? Why should, why should we do that? Well, I think the last part of this verse makes that very clear because God said to Paul, for I have many people in this city. God has many people in Albany, Georgia, who he loves and he wants to save. They won't receive Christ without one of you living for Christ in their midst and sharing for Christ in their presence. God has many people in this city. We won't reach them by questioning God or questioning God's plan. It's a wonderful plan. We have to stay true to the call and accurate to God's word. Census says maybe 70,000 people in Albany, Georgia. We're the worker, we know the master, and we joyfully work for the master because he has work for us to do. But we need help. And Jesus is with us every step of the way. There's no help in this world but Jesus who knows us from yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He knows those. So know him today. Know that he's here. Know that he loves us. Know that he has work for us to do. And when we get down, he just steps in and says, step up. Speak up. Be faithful. Trust me. The I am is with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you love us beyond all that we could imagine. Lord, you've proved that over and over so many times. Lord, we don't even recognize sometimes when you're doing great things in our midst because we're trying to question and figure out our own plan. Forgive us for that, Lord. Restore your purpose in our life today, beginning with me and each person who's heard this message. Lord, we're needy people. We love you and we're desperate for you. Come to us today, Lord. We love you and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.